Okay, well, be funny. Entertain me, Jester. Me? Yeah. That's your fucking job. I'm here to read you his dry-ass <laughs> report. <laughs> Welcome to Burn Barricades, a lame podcast. This is Nemo Martin, your host. I use they, them pronouns. And this week I started reading uh, a novel called... Oh, I should have... It's Latin, I think. But Noli, no, Noli Ni Tangere? 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 It's by a Filipino writer called Jose Rizal, who really loved Victor Hugo and oh. really loved Le Miserable. And he wrote this novel when he was 25. And I've been told quite a few times by Filipino friends to read it because it's like, not a fan fiction of Le Mis, but like him being like, I want to write Le Mis of the Philippines kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I was like, not one page in to chapter one where I was like, oh my God, Jose, you didn't have to do this. <laughs> uh, there's paragraphs. Um, starts since no butlers or maids request invitation cards or even inquire about them let us go upstairs my reader my friend or foe if you find the strains of the orchestra or the lights or the great clinking of the glasses and plates intriguing and you wish to see a gathering in the pearl of the orient if it were up to me I would spare you the description of the house (laughs) but it is too important (laughs) (laughs) no he understood the assignment. <laughs> yes, a hundred percent. Like he knows what he's doing. He's a hundred percent like, oh, this is how Victor Hugo writes his novels, which means that's how I will write my novel. <laughs> um, yeah, it's great. And there was like, uh, in in the second chapter or something. No, the fourth, fifth chapter. It basically starts, and I was like, where is this going? <laughs> and it it like all came down to like the final it was like describing this man's house this man's feuds with his neighbors this man's like riches like how he made his money all that kind of stuff and i was like god why do i need to care about all of this and then it was like the last bit of that set the the chapter was like all this is to say (laughs) set a dear um he had a daughter who was beautiful and i was like oh love interest she's here already (laughs) i think Um, you should have had to write your dissertation in that style. <laughs> <laughs> dear reader, friend or foe, dear marker. Yes, literally, dear examiner. I'll go to my viper and just be like, friend or foe. <laughs> if it were up to me, I would not have described the fandom in this way. But all this is to say, you're unhappy. <laughs> this is Stevie. She, they pronouns. I don't think I have anything, like Mizzy. I can report this week. Why were you not spending your entire week thinking about Les Mis, Stevie? Well, when you really think about the Lord of the Rings trilogy, <laughs> is it not the story of Les Mis? And that's why we rewatched it all for Sarah's birthday. Okay, well, there's probably, there's got to be a Les Mis. Um, there's got to be a, a Lord of the Rings Les Mis AU somewhere. I think if I had really thought about using this as my thing. Mm. I could have um, planned ahead and made a tangential link between at least one character, but I need Ooh. to... St- my brain is like, I can feel it heating <laughs> up go- and like trying to start doing it. I was like, no, 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 I've got to keep that brain power for these coming chapters, but I'll think on that. Yeah, okay, good job. It's going to be something to do with Denethor, I'm sure. Yeah, that's a pretty good link. Power. Making Mary do a <gasps> song and dance. He... He would be how Marius sees his own granddad. Yeah. 
um, Guillermoand because he's like you're a piece of shit, um, and because Denethor has all that <laughs> weird power plays he has with his two sons, mm. which Guillermoand isn't really even doing a power play between Marius and Alfred, but that is kind of what their aunt yeah was trying to stare up. Yeah, I mean technically he was doing it to. Alfred, where he was like, ah, yes, my grandson Marius, who can literally do no wrong, and who is the the Mm -hmm. hero of Paris, and Madame Gilliman being like, um, what about your other grandson? And being like, I have him, bastard child, can go fuck himself. Well, he's more just like, who? Yeah. If he wanted to show me some respect, he'd go take that um, city back. But of course he won't. <laughs> okay, we did it. Well done. Yeah, good job. Okay. But then I feel like Guillaume and Wand is going to like swing back around into like an okay character question mark. I guess I just feel like he is, but maybe he won't. <laughs> All this, All this to, <laughs> to explore. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, then it's exact. Right now, it's exactly like Lord of the Rings. So I was thinking about Limers. Great. <laughs> he was. He was Gollum in Limers, <laughs> and is he Tenardier? <laughs> It is Tenardier. Uh, hmm. Gavroche? No. He's not thirsting for the one powerful bit of shiny. Well, no, he's not after... But what is it? Because I'm like, Gollum's not really even after riches. He's just after this one thing. Yeah. Hmm. Something that makes him feel safe. Hmm. <laughs> and, um... <laughs> hmm, how can I sell this? Uh... I mean, who else falls down to their death at the end? It's Javert. Oh. <laughs> Bursting for that one thing. Justice. Uh, someone's ring. <laughs> 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 okay, well, we've done it. We've got it coming and going. Uh, well yeah. done. Where we are, we are both weeping and laughing. <laughs> About slang still, he says. I, th- mm-hmm. I feel like this is when we start to slowly begin to lose the fact that we're talking about slang. Mm-hmm. So, as we see, slang as a whole, for the last like couple hundred years, is permeated with that dark symbolic spirit that gives all words at times a doleful tone. So slang is all very has has been very like a bit like sad sack, I think is basically what Hugo's getting at. Where he's uh-huh. like Oh, you know, the songs, the jokes, even the threats have this impotent, defeated quality. The thief is always the poor thief. He's always the heron hiding, the mouse running for its life. He barely complains, he merely sighs. So he thinks, you know, the slang's been very, like, pitiful. Mm. Even though he's, like, given us all these ones where he's like, oh, it's so vile and, like, violent. But right now it's pitiful. Mm Mm-hmm. Except until the middle of the last century, which was the 18th century for Hugo, mm. where prison songs and thieves' ditties took on a more like insolent and jovial expression, <laughs> a, a kind of baffling, diabolical merriment. So, which I take to be the like, everyone's been so downtrodden for so long that it just reached that point where everyone's just like, you gotta laugh at it because like, what the fuck else have we got? They're, they're doing their like protest, like um, led by donkeys, like 
songs projection projections and stuff and everyone's like oh my god these um disgusting prisoners singing their songs god if they want to like protest their conditions they should do it in a nice way (laughs) yeah at least be like somber about it yeah now they're almost gay (laughs) a kind of tenuous light emanates from these wretches as if their consciences no longer no longer weighed on them god forbid wretches do anything yeah so like instead of i don't know wait they've just like begun to laugh (laughs) and like their slang has become more mocking in their songs they've started doing what the english equivalent of like a hey nonny nonny (laughs) kind of thing where it's like there is no one-to-one but it's that kind of just like (laughs) whatever um flipping i guess like they saying things just to say things i guess hey val johnny johnny (laughs) nice (laughs) (laughs) yeah my my lyric writing prize is really coming out there (laughs) award-winning which hugo I think Hugo is saying is a sign that they're losing the sense of their own criminality because they feel that they have the support even among intellectuals and thinkers who are not themselves aware of lending such support. So the (laughs) poor and downtrodden and their slang has become more comfortable in the last half century and more jovial and less like sad. And this is when he kind of starts to go off one where... Okay, he's like, now just a moment. Who is it that we're accusing? Is it the 18th century? Is it philosophy? Certainly not. The work of the 18th century is good and sound. Oh, and this is where our boy comes up. Uh, I was like, just thinking, like, the the work of the 18th century. Who could it be? Who could it be? (laughs) The encyclopedists, led by Diderot, the physiocrats, led by Tojo... The free thinkers led by Voltaire. Yeah. The utopians led by Rousseau. These are four sacred legions. The great advance towards the light that humanity has made is due to them. Mm. The four vanguards of the human race. (laughs) Uh, And Voltaire is the vanguard towards truth. Uh So he's like, not their fault. They're great. Mm. But alongside and below the philosophers come the sophists who he hates mm-hmm. <laughs> poisonous vegetation mixed in with the healthy growth <laughs> so while the century's great books of deliverance were burned by the authorities on the main steps of the law court now forgotten writers were publishing under royal license who knows what strangely subversive texts eagerly read by the wretched so things like voltaire who we know was like allowed back into the country and then he'd say something subversive and they'd be like get the fuck out (laughs) you're cancelled their work was getting cancelled and reinstated and cancelled and whatever Mm. and that's where I guess all the attention went and because like Voltaire was so subversive I guess Mm. because the attention's on that other people can be just like publishing things and it's going to be getting less attention so they're maybe getting away with stuff that Victor Hugo doesn't like mm. because all the attention is on these other people who are like making big splashes. Mm. Or at least this is what I believe Hugo is saying here. Mm-hmm. 
and that their works are even getting like sponsored by a prince and found in the secret library. So these works that are not the four sacred legions advancing us humanity towards light, the vanguards, mm-hmm. these works would have things in them, perhaps the most dangerous in like so in undermining ideas that I think he, so that there was people for example Restif de la Breton who Hugo has a bone to pick with mm-hmm. whatever it is they're publishing he feels is like letting people and especially like poorer people feel a certain way about the social climate that's dangerous uh-huh. so suffering breeds anger And while the prosperous classes blind themselves or fall asleep to this suffering, the hatred of the poorer classes lights its torch at some overlooked and embittered or ill-natured mind and sets about examining society. So I guess someone say middling, not as good as Voltaire, (laughs) who's feeling perhaps wronged or like not as, I don't know, celebrated Mm. will set about examining society in an angry bitter way that Mm -hmm. speaks more to the people of the lower classes and riles them up yeah and that is really dangerous says hugo Mm. because that causes these really dangerous disturbances because they're (sighs) not purely political unrest uh-huh. They're not just the struggle of the oppressed against the oppressor, but the revolt of hardship against well-being. Oh yeah! Oh my god! He's uh-huh. such a bitch. <laughs> I, it's also quite funny because um, the the Jose Rizal novel, like um, Rizal, wasn't um, exiled for writing it. He was murdered because, oh well, mur- like killed by the state. Mm. At this end, his, his second book, because when he wrote it, he published it in Germany. It basically didn't get to cut, leave Germany because it basically is like, hey, colonialism is bad, <laughs> and uh, we should think about that. And he wrote it specifically so that other Filipinos would read it and rise up, basically. And I feel like that's the kind of people that Hugo is like being like oh they shouldn't have this novel because they will do pretty much what they did which is the philippine revolution the anti-colonial revolutions and stuff so i feel like hugo was literally adding not jose rizal because he hadn't actually written it yet but mm. like preemptively adding him he's so confusing that i'm like what if i have misinterpreted him <laughs> in this <laughs> light that means maybe like I don't know. That <laughs> mm. the, the gut is always to be like, yes, you're right. <laughs> mm. But I found this so tangled that I'm like, either you're right or I have mm. read him very badly to you and we're going to accuse him. He's often deserving of being accused. Well, I can't remember when it is, but later he is like in defense of the everyday man or something like that and he's basically like we shouldn't blame people who close their shutters uh, and are scared of revolution oh yeah 
I remember that. Because, because, because <laughs> actually the 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 best solution is not violence. Yeah. Um, we should okay. all just talk it out. Yeah. Violence is just as bad. Yes, exactly. So I, I do I think that like, even though he is a proponent of education, like universal education mm. for people, I, I feel like maybe the interpretation of you reading it out to me that I got is his like m- muddied thing again of being like, people should be educated, yes, and educated people should lead revolutions. But poor people shouldn't be leading revolutions because they don't know what they actually want. They will just be doing it because they're angry. That's not a true revolution. That's just a a fight. <laughs> yeah, because uh, like more with in in those paragraphs about the, this kind of whatever it is that he's saying, he's like, oh, you know, at one point this stuff was going on in Germany. There had been a famous drama called The Robbers in which theft and pillage rose up in protest against property and labour. Yeah. And everyone just kind of cloaked themselves in these ideas, kind of pretending that they've that there's like some sort of lit- like theory in here. Mm. But then good, honest, suffering labouring masses <laughs> heard about it without even the knowledge of the foolhardy people who'd like come up with these ideas and put them into this drama. And then used that to like pick up the fight. Like I don't. <laughs> he, I feel like he isn't being super clear. Mm. But then he does get on to like talking about the French Revolution, where he's like, you know, that was the ideal armed with the sword, and mm. um, and we closed the door on wickedness and opened the door to good. Mm. So that revolution was good. But it was very bloody. <laughs> is is this also the bit where he's like, um, they they resembled savages where cloaked in blackness they had clubs, but the savage was good in this instant. Uh I don't think that was this bit, but I that also does okay. ring a bell. Oh, I feel like um, that was I can't that was a little bit ago, I think. But he does love to throw that yeah, where you're like He's saying here that people being savage is a good thing. So is he being bad? <laughs> what does? Yeah. How do we take this? Mm. Because yeah, like that was one um, scene that I used in my PhD when I was talking about Lajli's uh, Le Miserable. I was like, "What's the title of that <laughs> film?" <laughs> Le Mis. Because at the end of the film, Issa, the main kid. He and his friends do a revolution in that they throw like Molotov cocktails at the cops and they basically barricade themselves in their apartment building. And what I argue that largely is arguing is that these kids didn't change how they behaved in order to be seen as the righteous like revolutionaries. Mm. Because by at the end, they're still looking and behaving like working class, immigrant, black, Arab, French kids. They're all in their like tracksuits. They're all speaking slang and they're all wrecking all the shit around them. And whereas those are usually used in films to show how degenerate 
these kids are that was elevated to the role of revolutionary mm. because they were literally on higher ground and if you were watching the film and you know I think that you would have sympathy towards them and they are the like people doing the barricades not the people like the cops become the the rich people right and yeah the the scene in Hugo's novel where he was like talking about to the outsider these revolutionaries looked and behaved like savages but that they were doing the right thing but that's only because but then they were poor people right they were laborers and working class people and so i guess they still had that like idea of savage but then they got uplifted to the status of revolutionaries and you know the pride of france and stuff i don't know it's very confusing um <laughs> it's not so black and white but i don't know uh, yeah it's hard and it's all through slang i guess yeah yeah because like i don't think that slang is actually going to come up again <laughs> so we just have to like assume it's all connected because yeah we, we have i do remember us chatting about him also in like i think in his other works or in his other letters or whatever being like oh like yeah i know revolutions they have to happen, but it would be nice if they weren't violent. We shouldn't mm. do that. Now we should just have them with the with, with a written word. Yeah. But then, like, here he's like, oh, no, the French Revolution was great. It clarified the issue, promoted the truth, dispelled the miasma, restored the century to health, crowned the people, um, created, a, created man a second time by giving him a second soul, his rights. So he's like, all for it. Mm. And that the 19th century, which is where Hugo is, has mm. inherited and profited from the work of the French Revolution. Okay, maybe what is interesting there is that he said truth, and he recently said truth to talk about Voltaire and those three other vanguards, who I'm assuming were also, if not aristocrats they were probably bourgeois like Voltaire and that the kind of like responsibility for the truth of the revolution is kind of taken away there from like working class people and put like the hunt for truth is put on people like Voltaire question uh-huh yeah because he's like you know it, it, the person who fears the revolution and denounces it is foolish mm. but that revolution is the vaccine against... So he'd been using this word, uh, Jacquerie, mm. which is the word for what he was talking about before, the, like, oh, some fucking person who isn't as good as Voltaire and these other guys, mm. writing their angry little work that gets spread about the poor people and mm. makes them angry, but maybe... I don't know, it feels like he's saying, like, for the wrong reasons. or <laughs> Like, they're yeah. not doing it properly. They're not being yeah. angry about the state of the world in the way that I think they should. Yeah. So he's like, oh, no, the revolution was good. It gave people rights, da-da-da-da-da. Mm. But it's a good thing we had that because it put a stop to these other things where people are using these bad works yeah. <laughs> to get mad. And, like, the Voltaire wasn't actually part of the French Revolution. When it happened, they, like, claimed him for them. Mm. And I feel like that's maybe the the kind of thing that Hugo is doing himself here, which is, like, 
obviously it was people like Voltaire's thinking that was like the revolutionary thing. And like the people getting angry, most of them were probably just looters and rioters, but the actual forward thinking people, that's what the the Enlightenment thinkers were the revolutionaries, maybe, mm. is what he's trying to say. I mean, it feels right. And if it's not, he didn't argue well enough. <laughs> if yeah. we're struggling to like... Because, I don't know, so when it when it's chapters like this, Hugo really makes you second guess your own like ability to read and interpret. Mm. But it's like, I have a degree <laughs> in <laughs> yeah. this shit. Yeah. And you have a PhD, like a high high level in this. So you're like, so <laughs> on the one hand, I'm like, oh God, am I like doing him dirty? But then it's like, I feel like I'm really not. <laughs> mm, yeah, I don't know. I don't think that <laughs> guilty until proven innocent. <laughs> <laughs> like we all love to rag on Hugo here, but also we mm. do almost every episode be like, oh, well, let's give him, let's assume blah, blah, blah. Like we're not actually always out to get him. Yeah, yeah. I don't know why this particular chapter, it's really making me feel like I've got to be like defending him or something, and I don't know why. I don't care about him, but it feels only fair. But... Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe, maybe slightly further on, we'll find something to find that some... changes our mind. Uh-huh. Okay, so he's still on the revolution. It's so great. Oh, we are getting into some like this will make us sad about today. Yay! Actually, I, I guess he's speaking about France, and you know what? Some of this does stand up for France. <laughs> Thanks to the revolution, social conditions have changed. Feudal and monarch, monarch, oh Jesus Christ, monarch, monarchical. I think monarchical is right. God, that's a gross-looking word. Okay, yeah. so feudal and monarchical diseases are no longer in our blood. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there is nothing of the Middle Ages left in our constitution. So they've thrown away their kings. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> I was talking to my French friend the other day, though. Something that made me feel slightly better was because there's currently uh, more strikes in France and they're mm. doing really great things and all of that kind of stuff. And I, you know, it was me and two other British people who were like, my God, I wish that we had some of that. And my French friend was like, to be fair, it's not just that the British are shit at striking, <laughs> there is that, but also that for much longer privatisation has happened in the UK. And so unions have really been like taken down completely. Whereas mm-hmm. in France, unions are still incredibly strong. And there is more of a like union union, as in yeah. like all unions talk to each other. Whereas in the UK, because everything is so privatized and has always been so privatized, and like gentry and all of that kind of stuff is so like in English governmental and monarchical uh, situations that it's like so much more impossible for British people to actually do strike and union action. And I was like, oh, thank God. Okay, so it's not just, there is some reason for it. And like an outside country is looking at us and being like, especially a French person being like, it's not 
all your fault like the the odds were stacked against british people from striking in the first place and the fact that that we've been able to do any kind of strike action is is good and i was like okay thank you thank you that makes me feel slightly better yeah i guess we're looking at america and we're like (laughs) don't let privatization get to that point jesus christ Mm. and i guess france can be looking at us and they're like don't let it get that bad, Jesus Christ. Yeah, literally. Okay. So we never stood a chance. <laughs> the monarch, monarch... Jesus, you made it sound like a normal word when you said it. Monarchical? How did you say it? Mm, well, now I'm thinking about it. The governmental and monarchical. There we go. Okay. You've got to trick yourself into saying it. So we've still got the feudal and monarchical disease in our blood. Mm-hmm. There we go. Revolutionary awareness is moral awareness, <laughs> which I feel like I would probably agree with, I guess. You want to revolt yeah. because we're like, morally, everything is not okay. <laughs> yeah. And then he's like, there's not a pauper who, given his rights, has not his ray of sunshine. The starving man senses within himself the integrity of France. And, you know, we all like, that's such bullshit. But... <laughs> You're like, uh, I guess, I don't know. Would knowing that you have technically got more rights make you feel better about the fact that like you're not getting them? I don't know. <laughs> I never I know. Like, this, this one whole chapter has really got me in such a fucking mess over Victor Hugo where I'm like, I will, my gut reaction is to scuff. Should I not be? <laughs> I don't know. I get maybe mixed because... The idea that you should have more rights means that you don't have those and you have to fight for them. But knowing that they, that you should have more rights does mean that you have something to fight for mm. and that there is chances of your life being better. Okay. So teach a man to fish, <laughs> I guess. So the starving man's, well, at least I've got the integrity of France in my chest. <laughs> <laughs> Mm. he said it yeah we should have the integrity of france in our chest yeah i mean to be honest like you know being able to look at france and being like listen they got rid of the monarchy we can too that's intrinsically hopeful even if you do go after that well fucking the british will never let it happen and blah 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 blah. you know all those excuses come in but having the example like having the possibility is is intrinsically hopeful that's true they did do it they they did and isn't it kind of cringe of us if like france could do it but like we couldn't <laughs> our moral enemy our, our, <laughs> our constant enemy yeah it's a bit like cringe and i don't know defeatist of us <laughs> <laughs> it is one of those things that we should be saying to like british people who hate the french to be like oh my god did you know that they have better hours than us god and they're french as well we should do something about it (laughs) that would be the only thing that would work in this country yeah literally like none of the like human rights or anything it's Mm. just that yep well as victor hugo says progress is an honest man (laughs) well so i think we're just gonna leave this chapter Mm -hmm. because it started as slang it was like he was like tangentially like slang has become flippant and it's the fault of these people who make these bad not quite revolutions anyway let me talk about the french revolution into his next one Mm -hmm. so has all social danger evaporated 
since having the French Revolution, which kind of put a lid on all of these smaller rumblings because we just did it so good and so morally. Um, of course not. Wait, what? All the problems in the world weren't <laughs> sorted by the one French Revolution? Um, oh, God. These just weren't as fun as the other chapters. <laughs> Let us never tire of repeating this. Mm. Think above all of the woeful, disinherited multitudes. Comfort them, bring air and light to them, broaden their horizons magnificently, lavish on them all manner of education. So, like, he's got, he has got good stuff to say now. Mm-hmm. So, this is when he's like, I say it again, can we please like educate people, uh, lessen the weight of the individual burden by promoting the notion of common objectives? Our comrade, Victor Hugo. <laughs> Restrict poverty without restricting wealth. Um, uh... <laughs> uh-huh. D- direct the collective power towards the great obligation to open workshops for all hands and schools for all aptitudes, laboratories for all intellects, raise wages, reduce hardship, match enjoyment to effort and satisfaction to need. This is the primary fraternal obligation. Mm -hmm. This is the primary political necessity. And it needs to be said, even all that is only a start. The real issue is this. Work cannot prevail as law without being a right. Work cannot prevail. Work cannot prevail as law without being a right. So the idea that work should be something that everyone can do. Like, without workers' rights, nothing is protected. Mm, Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds good. But then Mm -hmm. he does say, like, (laughs) we'll not dwell on this. This is not the place. So we don't even need to understand it right now. (laughs) Thought is essential. Truth, like wheat, is sustenance. We pity those minds and stomachs who do not eat. If there's anything more heartbreaking than a body starving for want of bread, it's a hungry soul dying for want of enlightenment. (laughs) Oh, as the human race moves upwards... The lower strata will quite naturally emerge from the distress zone. Poverty will disappear through a simple rise in the standards of living. <laughs> We've reached these ones. And then, like, God, these th- this chapter spoke too much to, like, relatable content. At the moment, it's true. The past is very strong. It is reviving. This rejuvenation of a corpse is astounding. It's back on its feet. Here it comes. It looks victorious. This defunct conqueror, it rives with its legion, which is superstitions, with its sword, uh, despotism, with its banner, ignorance. (laughs) And recently, it has won a dozen battles, and it's threatening and laughing. It's at our gates. For our part, let us not despair. Let us sell the field on which Hannibal is encamped. (laughs) Mm -hmm. What have we who believe to fear? Ideas are no more able to retreat than rivers traverse their flow. Let those who set against the future think about it. By saying no to progress, it is not the future they are condemning, but themselves. Mm. They are giving themselves a serious illness. They are infecting themselves with the past. Yeah. So we've just been like, Fucking out there fighting for our lives in his last chapter. And then he's just like, when Hugo like comes for you, you're just yeah. like, oh my god. That even for him in his time, and I guess this is just like all whenever it seems like there's progress, 
this shit happens where people who are into the past rise up and are like, no, we gotta go back to the good old days. But that Hugo's like, don't despair, we're gonna go forward. I mean, yeah, I think listening to it this time, I was like, ah, this is good for me to hear because (laughs) it will end and there'll be good period and then there'll be a bad period again but Mm. there will be a good period after the shit period that we're in yeah we've just got to trust in victor hugo (laughs) after we were just like what are you even saying how can we trust you we're like no okay i'm back on board yeah yeah oh but when he says good shit you're like fuck (laughs) fucking yeah honestly Sometimes he knows what he's saying. There's only one way of rejecting tomorrow, which is to die. Well... (laughs) Fucking go and kill them then, Hugo. (laughs) I think we should get it. Well, yeah, that's his, um... The only good cop is an ex-cop. The only Nazi that should be there is one that's being punched. So, yeah, we can... I don't know. It made me feel slightly hopeful that it is just a wax and wane. Yeah. They look like they're winning some battles, but what do we have to fear? Exactly. It's uh, you, sir. We're able to retreat more than a river can reverse. I hope not, Hugo. Yeah. I think that's the fear. Yeah. But Hugo said... Our Lord and Saviour, Victor Hugo, told us that, like... Voltaire and his three other riders whose names uh one was Diderot Diderot and Ooh. where's our four horsemen? Diderot towards beauty, Tergio <laughs> towards usefulness, Voltaire towards truth, Rousseau towards justice. Diderot was a French philosopher and art critic. An encyclopedist. Mm. Tergio was Whatever a physiocrat is. economist and statesman. Uh-huh. A physiocrat is a government... Government of nature is an economic theory developed by uh, this group of Enlightenment men who believe that the wealth of nations derived solely from the value of land agriculture or land development and that agricultural products should be highly priced. That's pretty slick of them, I think, right? valuing the things we can make and grow highest yeah because it contrasted with earlier schools in particular mercantilism merchantilism which often focused on the ruler's wealth accumulation of gold or the balance of trade Ah, then yeah yeah they are our horsemen i guess (laughs) they are our horsemen yeah so before they were like oh the economics the 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 value is held at the point of sale because the seller is the one who's like economically the most valuable, but that these guys were like, fuck no, it's the industry, it's the actual product <laughs> that costs things. And it was inspiration came from China's economic system. Oh. And yeah, so that's pretty cool. Okay, so not the four horsemen of the apocalypse, they're like the four horsemen of the opposite. <laughs> Um, yeah, I'm sure they all did really bad bullshit. Oh, I'm, I'm sure crap. they are incredibly they, problematic. Are uh, being like, wow, this uh, two minute first paragraph of Wikipedia has taught me all I need to know. 
about this complex economic theory. <laughs> I mean, this coming from the two of us who fucking got obsessed with Voltaire and his problematic <laughs> baby girl. Uh, oh my god, Frederick. Yeah, the great. <laughs> We've never enjoyed a surface level reading of a character <laughs> before. <laughs> What are you talking about? That would be so unlike us. <laughs> We've got to look at something for hope, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the people, the 18th century's work in progress, will be completed by the 19th century. So mm-hmm. our work will be completed by the next people to come along. Yeah. yeah. And anyone who would doubt this is a fool. Yeah, exactly. Future fulfillment, imminent fulfillment of universal well-being is a phenomenon of divine fate. I can get behind that kind of divine fate. 100%. I, yeah, I mean, it is that thing, right? That, like, that revolution isn't reaching a utopia. It's a continual thing and that mm. every, every generation has to fight for the new frontier of rights and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, social philosophy is essentially the science of peace, says he. Mm. The object of which is to dispel anger by the study of antagonism. So, okay, I feel like this is where he's making his difference between how he sees, say, the revolutions and whatever the fuck he was talking about before. That Mm. he thinks these more current, more, I don't know, morally mind-driven ones are not done in anger, they're just done with like some moral right. And he wants us to not go about it in an angry way, like we need to dispel the a- anger and the antagonism. Yeah. Reducing and excising all hatred. <laughs> They're like, I like, that sounds nice, but it's that anger that does drive these things. Yeah. Yeah. It's the, um, Oh, what's it called? Politeness. It's it's usually used um uh Kill by... them with kindness? No, like it's used against usually black people, the like it's like a fallacy that's like that expects people not to be angry and it's like, well, if you're being angry and emotional about this, then it means you're not being rational about it. Mm. So actually like I'm in the right because I'm being very like calm and um, centered about this. So yeah, very internet incel troll. Yes, yeah, mm-hmm. and and um, actually, uh, uh, a person I know has written a book recently called "On Being Unreasonable," and it's about this this idea as well that like you're being unreasonable mm. is used against people who are angry. And it's literally that thing of like, yeah, you're unreasonable. You, you're you're emotional, which means that you have no reason. And it's like that's a hundred. Like what? <laughs> I'm sure that Victor Hugo, when he was exiled from France, was probably angry, and yeah. people were like, "Oh, you're being unreasonable." What would he have said to them? Like he probably would have told them to piss off. Yeah. Or even like when his daughter died, I'm sure that he was incredibly emotional. And incredibly unreasonable. But of course, that's different because he's an educated man. And so he's allowed to have those thoughts because mm. 
it's not anger, it's righteous truth finding. <laughs> righteous truth finding. So true, bestie. <laughs> sorry to like, because no, like, you're 100% on it. Because he's literally like, I, I meant that to like not be lessening what you're saying because it's no, literally right. is so true, bestie. It's because he literally basically actually then says that same thing himself. <laughs> but you know, with none of the self reflection of like, I'm sure that Victor Hugo, as you say, has been very angry in his time. Because mm. he's like, oh, it's good that we're like studying ourselves and our current time and our current civilization, which is both a monster and a marvel and we're worth saving today's thinker has a great duty to de- apply the stethoscope to civilization mm-hmm. so like i can't oh what what was literally what was it that you just said that was so good finding truth something something oh no <laughs> i should have written it before i so trued you because <laughs> it just felt so thematically linked to applying the stethoscope to civilization yeah yeah, I mean, yeah, it's. I I think that we 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 had some doubts in the middle there, but I do think that we were right in diagnosing. <laughs> get it? Diagnosing like with a stethoscope, <laughs> diagnosing Hugo with his bullshit. I was gonna try and find some way to say that like academically, but it is bullshit where he's just like constantly like. Anyway, the only way to do this is if you're clever and cool and someone that I respect. And um, yeah, all those poor people who are getting angry, that's not true revolution. So don't even don't even read this book and get ideas, peasant. <laughs> but then he'll be like, he's just, what is he? I guess he's just <laughs> a man. Because like, yeah, we're just coming off the, like a page back when he's like talking about the ever-changing like people wanting to go back into the past and being like fuck them and we're like yes you go and then it'll yeah do the thing where we're like wait what yeah that's true but then he's like he's you know but then he'll be once again out here like you know at the end of the day we want to include these three pages a few pages just being encouraged by the fact that we we are studying our current time to try and make it better and mm. figure out what to change beneath social morality we sense human imperishability just because it has the odd wound these odd skin eruptions from you know these little stirrings and up mini uprisings and Things that come to a head and ejects its pus. The globe does not die. Disease in the population does not kill mankind. The strongest, the most tender-hearted, the most logical have their moments of weakness. Mm. But will there be a future? He's just like, mm. yeah. Yeah. We might ask this ourselves um, in these times where things like seem quite dark. The grim confrontation between the selfish and the wretched in the selfish is prejudice. Ignorance of a superior education, appetite fed by overindulgence, fear of suffering that in some extends to an aversion to those who suffer, relentless complacency, ego so inflated it denies access to the soul. In the wretched Mm. is greed, envy, a hatred of seeing others enjoying themselves, Mm. hearts befogged, sadness, need, fatalism, ignorance, impure and simple. So that's like, I guess, the fight between, I guess, in this case, or at least how it it feels like, I don't know, the well-off and the poor, I guess. Mm. Must we continue to raise our eyes to heaven 
to try and like catch glimpses of light that seems like it's fading away. So I guess in his metaphor, the like when the past tries to like rear its head and we're trying to look towards these like glimmers of the future, but they get hard to see sometimes. Mm. And it's it is dreadful to see the ideal lost in the depths, but it's in no more danger than a star swallowed up by a cloud. Mm. We just have to believe. (laughs) Keep our hope because it's still out there. Yeah. Unlike Javert. (laughs) Oh, God. The clouds will power and we will be able to see the stars in their multitudes. Javert, if you just waited a minute. (laughs) Literally just a minute later. Yeah, and it is hard to see the ideal swallowed up by the void. But the clouds will part, guys, and the stars will come out. Uh, we just have to we just have to trust in truth <laughs> and Voltaire and, and the Voltaire river and the river and anyway this all started about slang <laughs> <laughs> so anyway um the f slur uh, <laughs> <laughs> i did say that like it feels like he kind of riled himself up yeah yeah cuz there was the point where it was like he was still kind of trying to connect it all back to slang and then was like, and another thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I feel in this, like, it's relatable in the way that's like, you know, when you can tell that somebody is going through a situation that's very similar to yours. Yeah. And you're like, ah, yes, I know when you were writing this. Which mm. is quite weird to feel so much like you relate to a man writing a novel in 1830. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and by weird, I mean depressing. But also, mm. like, I'm sure that he also was reading Voltaire's works that was happening, you know, 50, 80 years before him and being like, oh, my God, it's so depressing that he's writing about things that I can relate to. Um, and I'm sure that is a universal human experience, unfortunately. <laughs> Except by those fools yeah. who think we can go back to the past yeah, and yeah. would want that when that's just infecting themselves yeah and we're trying to go towards the future and it's out there it's just being obscured by clouds right now yeah it is (gasps) this would be if we had a twitter that was just like the quotes from victor hugo (laughs) that you would almost like not expect to come from him where you would just think it was us being like it's okay guys yeah (laughs) but it's like victor hugo 1864 or whatever (laughs) yeah yeah honestly so, all this to say, to dear. the slang was sad, mm-hmm. and then it kind of got, is, is fatalistic the right word, you know, where you're just like, I might as well just like, ha ha ha, because like, oh my god. Relating to the characteristic or belief that all events are predetermined and therefore inevitable. Hmm, maybe that's not the right word. I feel like it's like, you know, when there's the nihilism memes of like, mm. the nihilists who are like, oh, there's no point, versus the, like, there's no point! <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, Jazzy yeah. ones, where Hugo's like, hi, huh, I noticed that the slang went from, like, really sad and self-deprecating to just fucking laughing at the king because, like, what else are you going to do? Mm. <laughs> and becoming very sing-songy because, oh my god, the state of everything. Mm. And that's all related to... And that's where he kind of lost the thread on me. <laughs> the people writing bad, actually. 
making the proles angry, but not in the way that I like. <laughs> but let me lay down some sick burns on all those fucking monarchists who want us to backslide on the people's mm. rights. And there's still hope. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, what is this? What is this book been? <laughs> This is his thesis. His really, really unchecked, un. <laughs> this has been everything, everywhere, all at once, summarized in one chapter, I guess. Oh, God, I guess, yeah. Nothing matters, everything matters. Nothing matters, nothing matters. Yeah, nothing matters, nothing matters. That's the, that's the mm. meme. Yeah. <sighs> but slang is filthy and disgusting, and I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Me, Victor Hugo. <laughs> well, I guess the overarching theme is the poor have some cool things, but mm. anyway, it is but... disgusting when they do it. And we, we should need... educate them. Yeah. And like, you know, the educated poor, they might have some good ideas about revolution, but as it stands, it's just kind of curious to look at mm. and bad. <laughs> And I have written down at the end of that book seven. Was it just called slang? Book seven. It was just called slang. <laughs> seven slang. You know, I feel like his editor should have realized that he was kind of going to lose the thread when book seven slang chapter one is called origins. And you're like, oh, okay, I'm getting the origins of slang. And then the mm. final chapter was called the two duties to watch and to hope. <laughs> You're like, this is all good stuff. <laughs> Strange that you put them together. <laughs> yeah, you'd think that Origins, chapter one, and then the last chapter would be like conclusions. Yeah. <laughs> or the future of slang. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, yeah. Something but... that ties it all together, maybe. So I guess this actually does tie into this whole chapter and the journey he took us on. The thing that I wrote to remind myself at the end of all of that is Bondi Javert. <laughs> oh, yeah. Wow. I forgot about that. Yeah, okay. so did I until I saw it written down. I was like, oh, thank God. <laughs> so the only image that's coming into my head is a very, you know, those like, old gay men who do really care about what their body looks like mm -hmm. and they're very like grecian yeah and by that i mean like tanned brown skin and very like you can tell that they like their skin is wrinkled but they have put a lot of effort into making sure that their body is still really muscly yeah and very like uh, Doritos shaped. That is the image I am having of Javert uh -huh. <laughs> in Budgie Smugglers mm -hmm. walking down pristine Bondi Beach, but actually going to the other one, Tamaramara? Tamarama? Tamarama? Uh, oh, God. <laughs> because wasn't that. Didn't we get the told? Surfer, yes. And that, like, more older people go to that one and younger people go to Bondi? Oh, yeah. Was it that, like... Oh, no. Was it that Tamarama used to be the one that all the cool gays went to? Right. So maybe they still just go there? <laughs> yeah. So that's where I think that Javert hangs out. <laughs> uh-huh. 
And um, I think that when Jean Valjean was a young, cool gay, they met and had a fling at Tamarama. Mm -hmm. But then Valjean had to go away for a very long time. And so now it is 40 years later. And Javert, the same body smuggler gay, but older now. And yes, that toned <laughs> Grecian style. Aged twink. Yes, exactly. 100% that. Um, but who uh, everyone thinks is daddy. And he's like, fuck mm-hmm. this. I don't want to be daddy. That's not my style. Meets a mysterious... <laughs> <laughs> when we were walking past Tamarama, there was this group of really cool older people just doing some vibe in dance on the like. <laughs> it was so good. It was really, it was, it was very cool, but also like the kind of thing where you're like, ah, everyone is kind of making fun of them, but they literally don't give a shit. Yeah. It was just like they had some moving move music playing and they were just moving along with the vibes whatever took them just doing the very like literally very hippie like just moving their bodies to the music and doing loads of dance moves and literally everyone was looking at them and everyone like in their friendship groups like us like started doing silly movements to each other and I was like that's actually spreading whimsy to everyone because yeah. everyone's looking at them and making fun of them but actually just having a fun time then as well. actually kind of just getting into it <laughs> yeah and i think that Jean Valjean. uh-huh i agree <laughs> full stop yeah. <laughs> um maybe he he okay bishop miriam <laughs> Bishop Muriel started doing this thing on the beach with Madame Magloire and um, Sister Tessine. And the two women were kind of embarrassed about it. But Bishop Muriel was like, hell yeah, we're just going to do some vibes. And every so often, like, basically all of the beach weirdos were like, you know, gathered together. And and it started to become like a therapy thing and uh, a dance thing and just like moving their body. And, you know, it started to be that every Thursday people would show up and then every Friday people would show up and now it's basically like almost every day people show up at like 7pm and some people do yoga and some people do skateboarding and whatever and there were some kids there as well like it was quite nice to see it as a sort of babysitting thing as well I don't Mm. know if that's what it was but that was also kind of cute so anyway Jean Valjean who is just like trying to take a walk comes across it and is like at first scoffs, but then is dragged into it by the bishop. And 40 years down the line, he comes back to Tamarama and the bishop is gone and nobody does the dance thing. And he's like, fuck it. <laughs> I'm just going to do my little vibing by the beach. And obviously, for like a week, everyone thinks he's just a fucking weirdo dancing by himself. And then, like, you know the barricade boys because we're gonna Grantaire's first one out there oh 100% Grantaire is like making fun of him but then like 100% gets into it like because he's like embarrassing Andrelas he's like hell yeah and then he actually starts feeling the benefits of it and then all the other barricade boys just join in and then Javert is like hey you're obstructing everything (laughs) can you fuck off and everyone's like bro you're not the police 
get the fuck out of here. And Jean Valjean's like, I'm going to wear you down. I'm going to make you dance. And anyway, the rest of the fic is trying to make Chabert dance on the beach. And then they fall in love. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm bankrolling it. <laughs> this would be our, like, we're 16 and it's our fucking photography film project. <laughs> Where it's just us with one camera. Oh my god. And doing amateur acting and two old men we found. Hey, it doesn't have to be that. It could be the next new idea that I write down. Yes. It it could be an actual script and then we could bankroll ourselves to go to Australia again. I'm imagining it in the stylings of um, Big Eden. Yes, where when they 100%. kiss at the end, we're all like, "Oh, neither of them have ha- have like seen another person for the forty years that they've been apart." I can tell from the way they're kissing. <laughs> yeah. Like when they're young and hot, the actors are like chemistry, everything. They're making out. People are watching it, being titillated, and then they kiss forty years later, and you're like, "It's been forty years." <laughs> and both of these actors are one hundred percent definitely gay and enjoying kissing each yeah. other. <laughs> I love the I love the script. I love it all. I want a job. <laughs> yeah, well, you're the ideas man. You have to. You did it all yourself. I'm real proud. <laughs> <laughs> it's the fine details that I'll need peppering mm-hmm. in, and that's it on my Miz. <laughs> anyway, that's a wrap. So um... see you on set. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I can't wait. Anyway, so if you want this film to be a reality, we have a Kofi and a Patreon, <laughs> which you can find in the description. This has been Bread and Barrack, it's Lehman's podcast. But what you don't know is that it's been a four-year plan for me to get to this point. So please open your purses wide and... Uh... <laughs> You can also rate us five stars anywhere that you would like, on Apple or on Spotify. Our music director, who would also be composing the film, is Jade. You can find her on her website, jadewasabi.com, or on her bandcamp, jadewasabi.bandcamp.com. If you have any comments, questions, or quibbles, not about the film, of course, because that's perfectly described, but about any of the economic theories that we completely describe <laughs> 100% accurately, you can send us an email, lamespodcast, L-E-S-M-I-S, podcast at gmail.com, or on Twitter, lamespodcast, or on Tumblr, at Brent Barricades. And I believe that's everything, so thank you for listening. Thanks. It'll be back to story next time, which is usually a bit more coherent, maybe. (laughs) But probably not. I doubt that. (laughs) (laughs) If I have anything to say about it. (laughs) (laughs) Click. Business pen. Business (laughs) pen. Deactivated. Put away. Hugo, put to bed. (laughs) 